welcome to the podcast. Today we have a chat with Keegan Hurst. Ian Roberts came out in the 90s. He played in Australia. He was down at uh, Manly, I think it was Manly. Um, so he came out in the 90s and that, that kind of went by the by, really. Um, obviously, Gareth Thomas came out before I did, Rugby Union. But I think the, the thing that I was most proud of, even though it took me a long, I, I say it took me a long time to come out at 27, I came out in the middle of my playing career, like probably, you know, getting into my best years. Um, and I think, you know, now when I look at my stats, like half of those I've, I've played as an out game man. And I, I'm, I, that's something that I'm, I'm actually really proud of. If you don't know Keegan, he's a rugby league player and we talk about the Rugby League World Cup, we talk about the upcoming season and of course we dip into some LGBTQ content towards the end. So sit back, relax and enjoy a chat with Keegan Hurst. We first we, we first met at um, Edinburgh Fringe where you came to one of my, what I can only describe as... Um, ill-populated shows <laughs> was, was was that one of the lower ones um, oh mate it was it, i was I, see I, I saw you come in and i was like i know who that is um and immediately i looked at my crowd and thought oh why is he coming on monday <laughs> it <laughs> was, the crowd, yeah it was it was it was an early i feel like it was an early week one yeah, and was, i was struggling for audience at that time yeah i think we went up like Tuesday to Thursday, that was my first Edinburgh Fringe. So congratulations, you were part of my first Edinburgh Fringe. Um, it's a, it's a huge honour. <laughs> uh, it was I I was um, I was I didn't know what I was walking into to be honest, especially post COVID. Um, and my boyfriend Joe was like, "Oh, it's amazing! It's been before." It's, and when we first got there, and I was just seeing loads of street performers. I thought this looks absolute dross. Um, and then we got into it, <laughs> and then we got into it, and I, I absolutely loved it. And the reason that I actually found your show was I just put a, a thing out on because I'm lazy. I put a thing out on Instagram and I said, at the Edinburgh Fringe, is there any shows that anybody would recommend? Um, and you know, you were in a steamed company. You know, you were in with Jinx Monsoon, um, Simon Brodkin, um, there's there's some there's some good names in there, and so I was like, when I looked, at, wow. So then I went in and looked at the shows, and I was like, LGBT sports comedian. I was like, yeah, I'm down for that. Come on, Joel, and Joel hates sport, um, and he came <laughs> and he was like, I enjoyed that. I was like, well, there you go. So there you go, mate. That's so the stars aligned. Just, just that's the best pitch I could have for my uh, special coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, it, it, it wasn't shit, uh, and it wasn't uh, what I can only describe as street performance. But yeah, it's, it's quite a baffling sort of environment to wander into the Edinburgh Fringe because there's a lot of um, unstable comedians and unstable street performers. It's just like you've just walked into like a city of instability. Yeah, uh, there's the tattoo going on up the road as well, so it's like. Yeah, you spill out of a pub, out of uh, a, com a comedian's show, and then there's a load of uh, men in kilts smashing a bagpipe, and I think there was some Mexicans coming down as well. So it, it was it was very eclectic. That's the word. It was eclectic. Eclectic. I think that's that's a very nice way of describing Edinburgh Fringe. But thank you so much for coming to my show. I really appreciate that. And then obviously we sort of got chatting afterwards, and I had to bring you on to the Big Sport Pod. Welcome. Um, so I mean, you're back in the world of rugby league. Yeah. Uh, okay, good. you're back in uh, because um, from a bit of research, you'll be impressed by this. Um, you sort of first joined Batley Bulldogs in 2012, right? So, yeah. 
So you're back again. I think you returned in 2014. You've got a sort of back and forth with them. I, so I, are you excited? Yeah, I've, I, so Batley, Batley is my hometown. There are three things that have come out of Batley. Um, Fox's Biscuits, Rob Palmer, and I'm at the bottom, the bottom of that list of the three things that have come out there. I'd um, hate to say that foxes are more important than you. Yeah, so is Rob Palmer, and he's dead. So, um, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, he sang the song Addicted. So he Fox. loses. He, he, uh, he it's just it. you and the foxes battling <laughs> to the death now. Uh, but it, he's he's immortalised, so maybe he wins. Um, so yeah, but Batley's. Uh, it was it was always nice because I actually lived in Batley at the time when I first signed. So it was just up the road for training. It was dead easy. Um, and I ended up becoming captain there, and then yeah, I we uh, I think we got to a grand final. I went to a supposedly better team, hated it, went back. Um, so was and, that when you went to Wakefield Trinity? Oh, Bedminster no. before that. Uh, okay, uh, and then Wakefield went and played in Super League with Wakefield, which I absolutely loved. Wakefield. Um, and you then, were quite highly captain in the Super League as well. I've, I've, I've done my, I've done my research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played played quite a few few games for for Wakefield over three seasons, and we, and we finished as well. And I would just like to throw in there when I was playing at Wakefield, we were finishing fifth. You know, we weren't scrapping for just above relegation like they have been. So I'm going to put that in as a caveat. Um, <laughs> I love I, that. I think that was more um, correlation rather than causation, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then. Uh, yeah, just going back to going back to Batley again. I, I think Batley doesn't have a lot of money. It doesn't have it, it does have the world's oldest rugby league stadium. There's a little fact here. Yeah. Um, but what it does have is it has a lot of charm, um, and I, I'm a sucker for it. And I, have, I I love the people, the club, the ethos of what it's about. Um, and I, I came out, you know, privately and publicly while I was at Batley, and they they couldn't have been. Any any better for me? Um, I don't know how it would have gone down with other people of a more sensitive disposition, but for me, they were they were amazing, and I, I, I love them from the from the chairman from Kev all the way down to the volunteers who, who come in and and help out on match days. They're amazing. Well, I, I mean, it's it's really exciting that you've gone back there. I, I like, I love it when there's a sort of like correlation of a start to sort of finish, sort of in a, in a yeah. not that you're going to retire there. This could be the start. You could be going into your 40s, King, and I don't know. <laughs> but uh, this is obviously your return. Um, Batley, I think they got to the final of the playoffs, didn't they? Um, they did last this, year, yeah. They, they were a game away from Super League. It was the, something that Batley have always done is punched above their weight. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to coming into that and, and just trying to emulate that. I mean, if they were to do that again, again, it would be punching above their weight. So you're right, mate. Hopefully this will be the beginning of the end. I would have thought I would retire from Batley. Um, <laughs> whether that's the end of this season or next season, we'll have to see how, how the body holds up. Yeah, because that's another thing. I mean, I'm not sure how long you've been out, but um, a couple of years, I imagine. Yeah. How that, and, and there's been a lockdown in between that. Yeah. Uh, how how is the body at the moment? Because I know you're a personal trainer and you do that in your in, in your life. But um, how is it? Because rugby is not lifting weights in the gym. No, uh, it's not. I, and I mean, I, all my coaching I do is I I run it all online. So I actually have a I actually have a desk job. Everybody thinks I live in a gym. I don't. I, I sit behind a desk all day. Um. But yeah, it's been, I think I played, my last game was just before we shut down for COVID. So what was that, February 2020? Um, nice. but it's coming up to three years since I've, you know, thrown a ball in anger. Um, 
I don't know if that's right. Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, just getting back out over this last couple of weeks, running on muddy fields. I mean, my back, my lower back is not what it used to be. Uh, I can tell you that for nothing. So it's yeah, just been reacclimatizing. You forget how hard you get hit because you get you. I know this sounds. You probably people don't really believe this to say, well, you know, what's it like getting hit all the time? But when you've done it consistently for years and really you only have about six weeks off accumulatively maybe 10 weeks off over the year so for 42 weeks a year you're getting whacked a few times a week by you know 15 stone men um sounds a lot sexier than it is um, you get um, you get i was gonna say that's just a weekend for me mate Come on, get, get. you get you get you get used to it um but yeah when you've been out for it a bit for a while yeah it does take a little bit of acclimatizing um and i'm on my teeth straight since then so i i, I wear my i wear my gum shielding just to talk to people now i was gonna say um invisalign if you are uh, listening to this podcast yeah. i would I, I would love a discount because uh my bottom row of my teeth looks like a car's reversed into them anyway uh, <laughs> so <laughs> absolute disguise as someone commented on one of my videos recently going oh those are very british teeth and i thought <laughs> <"Fuck you." laughs> i would uh, i would ask someone if uh, they thought my teeth had improved with the invisalign and said yeah because it they used to look like when you know when Vikings threw runes in a ball. That's what they. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, look, I'm gonna say uh, for the listeners who can't see Keegan, it's worked brilliantly. Uh, you've got you've got taste, which is good, and let's see how long they last. Yeah. Imagine if Invisalign did like a sort of a, a link up with rugby teams where you get your gum shields are actually Invisalign. That'd be good, wouldn't it? it? I mean, it it would it would help, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you have them in that long enough, but yeah, good, good. Go work for Invisalign, Joe. If this didn't work, look, I'm trying to make links to Invisalign and rugby <laughs> to try and shift this along, King. You're going to have to go with it, otherwise. <laughs> um, I mean, we've just come out of the the World Cup, the Rugby League World Cup. We have. Um, now this was a delayed World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, so- it's still for the last year. Yeah. Was it a success? That's my question to you. For you, in your opinion, do you think it was a success? <laughs> um, a, a mixed bag. I think it was. I think it was a. It was a right. Okay, there's a couple of levels. Success for me personally, because it made me fall in love with rugby league again. Um, I think I'd become a bit disillusioned with it, as I think any professional athlete does as they get towards the end of the career. Um, but there were lots of stuff that went on before I left that. Catalan being allowed, allowed to sign, Israel Falau felt like a real big smack in the teeth for me. Um, it was it, for those who don't know, he was you know an an outspoken, hub yes. or bigger, horrible guy. Um, it's so much so that all the Australian league and union clubs said we refuse to sign him, like collectively. Mm. But the Super League went, oh yeah, we'll we'll have your castoffs. We don't care, you know, if he's whatever he's done. Um, and for me, who championed rugby as being inclusive, and and you know, support you know being a, a, an inclusive and diverse sport with the players and the fan base, that just felt like a big slap in the teeth. And um, so that, that I, I, it got yeah, so that 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 kind of really made me fall out of love with the game a bit. So for me, on a personal level, it, it made me fall back in love with it. Um, as far as the spectacle goes, for I think for anybody who was watching, certainly um, the semi-finals 
they were they were amazing bits of entertainment. Like if, as a neutral, if you didn't understand anything about rugby, you would have thought this is exciting. They were close. They were they were you know it's, it's peak physical athleticism. Um, so that that was brilliant. The early, the group stages were a bit of a mismatch. Um, you know we had New Zealand smacking everybody seventy odd whatever, and um, so I think maybe I I knew it looked like they they'd not thought about filling the stadium. They were playing these games in some decent-sized stadiums and they looked a little bit empty. So I think from a logistics point, they could have done better. But I think on the field, it showed... Um, rugby league's always been lacking a little bit in the international scene, which I think football is really good at. you know. And so I, I think it just showed that there is a lot of scope to grow the international game. And that is how you grow the sport as a whole, by getting more and more people involved. It was great to see... You know, Greece had a team, Jamaica had a team. Yeah, I was going to say Jamaica coming in as well. Yeah, Yeah, some some really non, not even like rugby union-y style teams coming in. And it was quite exciting to see that, seeing the representation of of sort of smaller nations within the rugby sort of landscape. Absolutely. And I, I, I think I, it was for me some, some really. It's always good when you sort of see rugby, particularly for smaller nations like Samoa and those sort of nations. You see them really come to prominence, and it really is a sport that they sort of excel out. To see them get to the final is quite, quite a sort of moment, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, okay, the result was sort of went in Australia's favour, yeah. which is fine, and we're all okay with that. Yeah. But I think England's performance then, if we look at that. Do you think they underachieved this year in the Rugby League World Cup, or do you think it was it was it was? It... Um, I th- I think no one expected them to start how they did. Um, so they they started off and they smacked Samoa in the first game about mm. forty points to something, and nobody expected that. So I think going into the World Cup, everyone was, you know, you kind of expect it's going to be New Zealand and Australia in the final. That's what you kind of expect. And you hope that on one of them has a bad day and England have a good day and you, and, and you might beat one of them. But it doesn't happen very often. So for England to, they smacked Samoa, you expect them to beat Greece, but then they smacked um, Papua New Guinea in the in the quarters as well. And, and, you, and you think, oh, they're really playing well here. Um, and then for them to... Obviously, Samoa didn't play well the first game, but for them to then lose to Samoa in the semis, you just—I don't know—I I just I went I went from being a, a skeptic of you know here we go again similar as always to genuinely going into that semi final thinking we could win the World Cup here. Um, mm. It felt a bit like an open try. I mean, it's obviously you say open goal in the, yeah. in the world, but I try I try to bring the rugby element to it. Yeah, yeah. It did. It did. It did feel like. It was England's to lose that semi final. Yeah, definitely, and they, yeah, they, they, it was just a, a poor start, and then but they clawed it back, and you thought maybe you know maybe just maybe, and I remember it went it went into Golden Point, um, which is as tragic as Golden Goal is in football. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's it, I, I hate anything like that. Yeah, that next goal wins approach. Yeah, literally, literally next next try. It's not even next so time. unsporty. I just feel so not sport. Yeah, um, yeah, because it feels like whoever gets the kickoff, if you as long as you don't mess it up, you should be in in range to do a drop goal, and then it should be bread and butter. So when Samoa got that, and you think, oh, they're just going to score a drop goal, and that's it, and then England charge it down. I was like, we're on here. This is this is it. This is, and then. 
it wasn't <laughs> and since Samoa won. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I went, yeah, I, it was it was great to watch. I actually went to the Australia and um New Zealand semi-final. And that was probably one of the best games of rugby league I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, massive hitters in the world of the rugby of, of rugby world, yeah. regardless of its union league. That's that's something you always want to go to. That's yeah. that's a top billing. It was incredible. Match, you know, there's the hackers, all that going on. But I think alongside this, I think it's really important to mention we also had the women's rugby world league. World. I was literally it's next <laughs> on my thing. It's the wheelchair rugby and the wheelchair because we, yeah. we are actually world cup. We are actually world yeah. We won it. We won the real rugby yeah. league wheel, wheelchair world cup. God, that's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> um, but yeah, we we won that. That that was incredible. Um, I actually couldn't get to the fight. It was on the Friday. I had tickets to, to the opportunity to go to the final. I couldn't go. Um, but I went. I went to a couple of the England women's games as well. And I went to England beat PNG. And there was, I mean, there was a, a PNG player. She was at 105 kilos, and she, her and uh, the, there's a girl called Whitbread for England. They absolutely battered each other all game. And that was just as good a spectacle, sporting spectacle to watch as, uh, you know, I, I fell in love with women's sport with watching the Lionesses, you know, in the Euros. Oh. Uh, I mean, it's it's something that tennis has always done very well. And there are certain, like, sports where women's sport is, is, is sort of on a par. I think golf is another one where it's pretty level. But I think football should take note, I think, of just how well the Rugby League World Cup did that inclusive uh, sort of element to it because it brings new audiences to this. I think the 100 does it very well in cricket as well. They have the sort of women's teams and the men's teams playing together. I think there's something to be said for maybe unifying the World Cups and the and the Euros so that they happen at the same time. Perhaps, perhaps it would be tricky to have them in the same locations. I don't know how that works. But visually, it doesn't really matter as long as you get to see both happening at the same time. And I think... That the that, that would be so good. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it was. But very rarely does rugby league have good ideas, so I think they should absolutely hang their hat on this one because it's a, <laughs> it was a really good one, and it it was. It's just it, I think the issue that rugby had that football wouldn't have is just filling all the stadiums. Um, but get give them to school kids, get kids in seats, get people. I, because I I I mean I I'm Northern. Uh, listeners, I don't know if you've gathered, but I'm Norman. Um, and yeah, that is a shock. That's <laughs> exclusive here first. Um, uh, if, if the newspapers are listening, Keganhurst is Northern. There we go. Yes. Okay, continue, Keegan. So I've 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 grown up with it, and I've I've always believed that if you could get it in in front of enough people, it's fast. There's a lot of contact. There's strategy to it. There's a, a really high level of skill, um, and it just has not had the exposure. I think it's just had fuddy duddy old men in charge of it for so long, and I think that's changing now. But I, I genuinely believe if you could get that in front of a big audience, whether that is the men's, the women's, uh, the the wheelchair rugby league, you've never seen it. It is absolutely fucking great. Yeah, it's it's fucking brilliant. It's <laughs> it's a great sport in the same same way that like. I think wheelchair sport, generally speaking, is just fucking brilliant. I mean, the wheelchair tennis is just one of my highlights of Wimbledon because yeah. it's just getting more and more popular. 
Uh, yeah, it's brilliant to see it on, on sort of a level footing with sort of um, with the other with, with the other forms of the sport. Yeah. Like, absolutely great, and we should see it more. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's 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 been. I mean, it's been a really interesting sort of thing. Technology in rugby, I wouldn't mind talking to you about actually, because obviously we've got VAR. I say we, like I'm, I am football. Nice to meet you. I'm football, <laughs> but there's VAR in football. It's obviously a sport that I cover quite a lot. Yeah. It feels like rugby sort of got it right, like the t- the, the sort of yeah. the, the, your version I've, of, of I've the always, VAR. Always... Why have we? Why why are we the football people so shit at it? Vegan, I have always wondered for years. Like when I I started watching rugby league when I think found discovered it when I was about eleven, and we had video refs then, so that was twenty odd years ago. Um, and they're only on televised games, to be fair, because I don't know if they... Do they have VAR at every game or is it just on televised? No, it's only in the Premier League games and obviously World Cup, okay. Euros, any sort of in, in international competition. And actually now in the SPL in Scotland okay. as well. So now the Scots can be so, depressed. So so for Rugby League, it was just at televised games because the cat falls from cameras since at every game. Uh, but um, it, it was... Two things that I've never understood about football which always annoyed me. And he's ex his injury time. Why why do you have that? Why not just stop the clock? And then everybody knows because they always get oh there's Fergie time and and there'll be eight minutes added on or there'll be four minutes and they play eight until someone scored a goal. I was like, well, if you just stop the clock and then start the clock again, you know that when it gets to ninety minutes, you're done. There's no it, it would it would stop white time wasting. It would stop because that's a big issue in football, and everyone's worried about the sport not being quick enough. There's Arsene Wenger going, "Yeah, let's make the fucking sport 15 minutes long so the TikTok generation watch it." No, let's stop adding on 15 minutes like we yeah. are on this World Cup at the end of fucking matches yeah, and just stop it's, the it's, clock. It's just it's a it's just a preposterous <laughs> idea that I've never understood. And yeah, rugby. Um, the idea of how we do take how we do video the video ref we just call it the video ref um, is if the there are certain things that you can't rule on so you can't rule on a forward pass because of camera angles and stuff so the, the, but offset the, they'll go if the idea is you you want to be able to the referee to do his job his job is to officiate and it, to give it as a as a try or not a try and it is usually just the tries. Um, because we'll only do it with offside if it counts towards a goal. I don't know if that's the same in football. Yeah, um, it's it, offside is general. It's, it, it doesn't matter if it's a goal. It will just they'll just they'll do offside. There, there was a big sort of moment where they had thicker lines, thinner lines, and it was all there was yeah. every single fucking offside decision was mentioned on match yeah. of the day for about fifteen minutes. That's sort of gone now. Okay. And they've sort of so, evened out. And yes. the fact that if it's offside, it's offside. Yeah. So for for us, they would only if someone scored a try. Then they would take it back and see if there was an offside if they needed to look at that. But ideally, the referee makes the decision. The referee and his touch judges make the decision. If the referee cannot, like without, uh, I don't know what's the term in law, uh, beyond reasonable doubt, give the, give the a try. That's when it goes to a, ref, a video referee. The video referee goes right. Stop everything for two minutes, literally while I look at everything. Yeah, did he get the ball down? Can't see from that angle. Show me another angle. Um, yeah, he did. That's a try. No, he didn't. That's not a try. And then if the ref- if the video referee, for whatever reason, it doesn't really happen now, but it used to, can't make a decision given the footage, it goes back to whatever the uh, referee's original decision was. So if he thought it was a try 
but we can't prove whether it is or it isn't, then it's a try. And it literally, very sometimes, sometimes, where it's a difficult one and there's a lot gone on and people have touched it and there's an offside, and there's a, then it might take a little bit longer. But you've got the right decision. So, like, you know, it's... It, yeah. it, it, it's it's great. I think that that's, that would be brilliant if it happened in football. Unfortunately, another thing I'd love is mic'd up referees because <laughs> mic'd up referees, it's so great. I mean, I think they're worried about hearing the odd fucking cunt here and there from like some of the old uh, football players, but you yeah. hear that on the mics anyway from the from the crowd. Just fucking mic the, the refs up yeah. and then card yeah. any football player that swears at the ref. And then you've got, you're, you're nipping that issue out yeah. and then you, then you sort of... T- sense what a ref is going through it I've makes ne- more sense i've never really understood the whole in rugby you might think the ref is a con but you would never tell him because if you did you'd get sent off it's just it's just as cut and dry as that and i've never understood why football why they when they're going referee you're a cheating fucking con why they don't just go all right see you later because you might have a weekend where loads of people get sent off after that weekend no one gets sent off and there won't be dissent, and you won't get these little yobs in the Stone Island jackets thinking they can walk around calling people, you know, effing and jeffing at people because I'm going to say Wayne Rooney. <laughs> I've been doing it for a long time, but <laughs> you know, wait, have you seen Wayne recently? Yeah, he looks like he's, he's aged. Yeah. The thing I like is that he's aging ten years at a time instead of a year, like most of us. Is, by next year, he's going to look about eighty. Isn't he's he the same age as Ronaldo as well. That's... Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> it's like old Father Time and sort of Ronaldo, who looks like he's been just bathed in body oil. But for... yeah, that, that's that's something they could do. They could they could nip that. You could tidy football up in a weekend. I give, give me it. I'll do it. Um, we're, we're doing we're making good progress here I'm going to be honest we've sorted out football that's good uh, <laughs> that's we've so got big. a forward plan Next. for rugby league <laughs> this is exciting um, I remember uh, it was uh, I remember when you came out um, Kagan because it was a really important it was a sort of formative time for me because I'd come out a few years before um, but I didn't have any gay friends and didn't really sort of know gay stuff yeah yeah. And I've since moved to London and my god there is gay stuff everywhere yeah, I'm getting quite good at it now but but my whole life has been sport. So when you see an athlete come out, there's something incredibly significant and has always been quite significant um, to me as a sports fan. So I remember it happening and just thinking, fuck, that's brave, but also awesome. This is exciting. Mm-hmm. This is a positive thing. I mean, when did you first notice that you might be a bit gay, Keegan? Um, <laughs> a, a blunt question, if you don't mind. Yeah, I think retrospectively... Probably about thirteen, um, but I think yeah, I was I was brought up that you grow up. Oh well, hopefully you get married, you have kids, you get a job, and that's that's it. That's what life is, and you should be great. The uh, in the north, you should be grateful for the shit that you're given. That's that's kind of a, that the shit end of the stick that the the. the Tories wacky with you're supposed to be grateful for it. So uh, I call that the straight set menu. It's like <laughs> it's yeah, a set menu. Yeah. Kids, precise, marriage, house, precise wedding. And, and my mom like was fully indoctrinated in that. Um so when I started thinking, hmm, boys. I, I and I, I the story that I always remember that I I've, I've told before is I remember being I had no interest in women and you remember um, the Max Powers and 
nuts magazines and things like that. I remember being must have been on a school trip, or maybe it was even the back of the bus playing rugby and we're on a way trip. And all the lads, it must have been that actually. And all the lads were going, "Who do you fancy? Like, what what birds do you fancy?" And I hated that. And it question. was Nell McAndrew, Kelly Brook, all the all these like beautiful women who had the tits out, and um, Keegan. What about you? And I remember thinking, you know, so the only woman that I could think of that I thought might be a reasonable answer was Carol Vorderman. <laughs> Just so funny, because that's the first name that came to my head. Just reminded me. Carol Vorderman. Carol Vorderman, maybe she's like a diva that like we don't know. Like I, I rem- always remember that I used to I used to say one of the things I panicked. You remember Fraser? Yeah. Fraser, the show. I think there's a person called Roz on that. Yeah, Roz. Yeah. But I got Fraser and Friends mixed up, and I just said Ross from Friends, <laughs> and then they, and then people are just like, "Oh, you're gay," and I was like, "Oh shit, my cover's blown." So then I'd have to sort of go, "No, no, no, the Fraser one, the one, the, the lady one on the on the American show." <laughs> um, it's amazing what people you had to invent sort of like fantasies about. It was like it was very odd, and you just have because I didn't know what what to look for. I don't know what do you look for. Nice. Eyes. Yeah, well, I was like, she's smart. Can't say that. Yeah, she's yeah. involved in smart. She, she'll she'll look after your money for you. Yeah. Uh, well, Carol Fordman, if you're listening to this, you will be, you'll be fucking delighted. Yeah. You were Keegan's first crush. Yeah. I mean, sure, it was an it was born out of a bed of lies, but look, it's something. <laughs> there you go. So obviously, then sort of your life developed in quite quite a sort of classic set menu way, the yeah. straight set menu way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it must have been such a huge step to come out yeah the sort of situation I, you're in. I think I'm 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 gonna nutshell this for, for your listeners but essentially yeah my mental health was through the floor um uh and I was only playing part-time then so I had a full-time job I, I played part trained like four times a week part-time uh I had a young family just you know, re- I was married at twenty three. That I had a kid at twenty. Met like I think back now and I think Jesus. Um, but doing that, I kind of trapped myself into that set menu, and then I was like, "This is I've made my own bed here. I've just got." To. And it was just inconceivable for me that 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 I think originally that I was gay, but even if I was, that I could be and and live. As as a, a an out gay flagrant homosexual of the Paris like that never occurred to me and so I just did everything that I could do that, that was a manner of escapism I, I I trained more I worked more I drank like a fish uh, drugs anything and everything that I could do with some kind of escapism and obviously that kind of behaviour has a very um, you know, destructive impact on on any relationship, especially one that you're not actually, you know, invested in for the right reasons. And I had two young kids and I just thought, I don't want my kids growing up thinking this is what a relationship is. And that, uh, you know, and I I wasn't a good, I wasn't a good dad. I mean, I provided for my kids that they they didn't go without but I wasn't there. I wasn't emotionally available. Like those old school dads that, you know, like Mickey Flanagan says, well, shut the cupboard door and I think they've helped. That was, that was what I was like. Um, and then, I, you know, after a game, I'd go 
I'd go miss it. You know, there, there were times I went off when we had a weekend off and playing on Friday and I didn't get back until Monday morning. And I'd just been, you know, an absolute stay in shit old pubs and just pottering around. Um, and I was like, this is not, this is not what I envisaged for my life or for my kids' life. And then, so, so we set, so we separated. And then it was once the, We'd separated. It was like the shroud had been lifted. I was like, actually, I don't have to pretend to be this person that I'm not. Um, and I started getting brave and I ventured into a gay bar in Leeds. It shut down. It was called Mission Mission Two, it was called. There used to be Mission One, which was for the straights, and then Mission Two was for the gays. Um <laughs> and, uh, yeah, <laughs> they both shut down. Um, but uh, and I remember the guy going, You know, this is a gay bar, don't you? I was like, Yeah, that's why I'm trying to get in. Can you move out the fucking way? Before anybody sees me, um, you are probably one of the one of the few people venturing into a gay bars that are probably bigger than the bouncer. Yeah, <laughs> you could have just picked them up and moved them out of the way. Yeah, um, but I've always, yeah, I've I've always been very aware of I'm a big man, so you know, I try to always be friendly, and because I just think I'm not going to get in if I'm at it. Um, so I was like, yes, please let me in. I might get seen. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so then I was like, yeah, I think this is a bit of me actually. Um, and then I, I yeah, I, I thought I've got to t- I've got to tell people. So I went and I told I told my ex-wife first. The lads, someone must have seen me going in the bar because eventually one of the lads said, "Keeping the, uh, these rumors about you being gay are true." And I remember going, oh, "Do I deny, 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 or do I?" And and it was like it was uh, an eternity in my head, and it must have literally been a, a millisecond where I was like, "Do I deny or?" And I just thought, fuck it. And I went, yeah, I'm gay. And the lads were like, all right. Uh, uh, one of them cried, actually. Um, oh. I was like, what the fuck are you crying for? Uh, and he was like, oh, he's, he's a lad called Alex Rohn. He's a big hard bastard. And he's from uh, Lewisham originally. And he was like, oh, we've got a weird, weird bastardized accent. <laughs> he's like, well, you better go through it on your fucking own, ain't you? Um, I was like, well, you don't need to cry about it. Um, so yeah, I couldn't. It, and then the lads knew, the coaches knew, the the club knew, and before I knew it, it was in the it was on the front page of the paper. So it was yeah, fuck. So for most people, coming out hard enough, often it's to family, whatever. So then it for people on the fucking front pages of newspapers. Um, I mean, that must feel jarring. Because you know, it's no longer this moment, is it, with just you and people you know. It's the world. It, the thing is, though, that was that was not difficult for me. I did not find that bit difficult at all because everybody who I was worried about finding out knew, like wife, ex-wife, kids, mates, teammates, family members... You know, I'm, my, I didn't speak to my mum for five years after I came out. My, I didn't speak to my brother for a, a long time. Obviously, everything that was going on with my ex-wife was quite turbulent. So mm. the fact that John and Ken knew, because he'd read newspaper, had absolutely no bearing on, on my life in the sense of I didn't really care what people thought. Luckily for me, I had an amazing reception through social media, emails um i've got i've got loads of hand i've still got them in a folder uh loads of like written and, and letters that were sent to the club and uh and it was all there was the odd one i remember 
<laughs> there was one letter that I received that was it was this is not this is no word of a lie. It was written in pencil. Um but it was definitely a, it wasn't a child, it was definitely a man. So he must not have got his pen license at school. Um he, <laughs> he wrote that he felt sorry for me and um but it wasn't in a I feel sorry for you that you've had to go through this. It was I feel sorry for you that you're gay and that you've um inflicted this on the world and blah 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 blah. Um probably religious. And <laughs> I remember it was signed off, Steve Wigan. Um <laughs> so but other than that, like the, the, the support I got, I thought was was amazing. But yeah, everybody thinks that about the papers, it being a, a big thing, but it I was more bothered about the immediate, like my immediate, you know, family and friends. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just such a big sort of moment. It, it's it, it it for me, it just epitomised because there was obviously Tom had come out. I think only just a couple of years beforehand, Tom Daly, but there really weren't many people in sport that were publicly out at that time. There's been since it's been we've had a good number of people come out and it's been sort of wonderful actually through the last couple of years just sort of doing shows about lgbt and sport and actually meeting people from who are like athletes or involved with it it's amazing how big sport lgbt sports sort of fandom and athletes is as a community now it's sort of built this sort of thing and thinking of that now in terms of the greater landscape of sport and rugby league obviously we've got people in rugby union and rugby, and you were the first to come out in rugby league. There are a handful of people who are LGBT now in these sort of areas. So there's a positive there that more people are coming out, but then you do have the negative of people like Israel Folau publicly saying that we're all, I don't know, some fucking nuts thing about how the devil's come or something. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Billy Vinopola sort of supporting that as part of the England team. Yeah. That's so frustrating, isn't it? Because you sort of get that pro- progress. And actually the whole Australian team, sort of well, not a whole Australian team, but quite a lot of the Australian team refused to wear a rainbow yeah. jersey this yeah. year as well. There's been there's been moments, isn't there, where rugby was has been seen as this forward thinking presence for this. Yeah. But actually there's the sort of other side to it as well. Yeah. So I think a couple, couple of things on there. So I think uh, in Australia, Ian Roberts came out in the 90s. He played in Australia. He was down at uh, Manly, I think it was Manly. Um, so he came out in the nineties, and that that kind of went by the by. Really, um, obviously, Gareth Thomas came out before I did. Would be Union, but yeah. I think the the thing that I was most proud of, even though it took me a long, I I say it took me a long time to come out at twenty seven. I came out in the middle of my playing career, like probably you know getting into my best years, um, and I think. You know, now when I look at my stats, I think half, like half of my 320 odd games—not that I'm counting. Um, when you get near the end, you start counting. It's such, such an athlete. That uh, is such an athlete thing to do. Is that, I think count the stats. Like half of those, I've, I've played as an out gay man, and I, I'm I, that's something that I'm I'm actually really proud of. Um, so yeah, I think. Within the sport of rugby, there are these moments where Ian Roberts, Gareth Thomas, you know, people are, and, and I'm using rugby as a collective here rather than two separate sports, because the the ethos, I, I would think, is the same. I mean, rugby union's snooty southerners, but we'll get over that. Um, is, is that what, is, I, I've always wondered what the difference is there. We'll, we'll go on to that. Well, I'll, give, I'll, give, you yeah. I'll give you a full history. Yeah. I'll give you a full history. But 
Yeah, so you, you, you've got this, and there is a there is a brotherhood element to rugby. I think this is going to sound really dickish, but there is something about going onto a field knowing that you might get battered and you've got your mate at the side here to help you out. And obviously it's not about physically fighting somebody, uh, but it is it is a liken to going to war. I know it's not going to war, and I really don't want to, you know, overhype it. But they, it does help. You do develop a real closeness with the people in, in the team and the squad, and people people forgive people for, for all sorts of, uh, of misdemeanors that you'd look at someone on an individual basis and go, you're mental, um, or you're not okay. Um, and people have always said squaddies are like rugby players. There's this weird, not weird, but there's this really tight brotherhood but for whatever reason. And so the support is always really overwhelming when someone comes out, when someone struggles with something, even you know on a private level in a team, someone's going through a divorce or all the lads will bandy around and help each other out. It is, and you would think that that wouldn't be the case because oh, we're men and we don't talk about our feelings, but that, I, I genuinely don't think that's the case at all. And then you get things in like, I mean, there is a, there is a common denominator here and it's religion. Um, you know, with Israel Falau, it was all God says this, the devil does that. With the manly players, so uh, for, for people who don't know, Manly Rugby League Club in Australia wanted to um, play around in a, and, and they're ju- basically they have white stripes white piping on the sleeves and one around the chest and they wanted to swap the, the white piping out for a rip for a rainbow so it wasn't like a big flashing neon ass on the back of the on the back of the shirt it, that was the first option <laughs> they, they, they battered them they down. have to tone it down they yeah. them down to a microscopic rainbow thing it wasn't like i love dicks was you know the sponsor being replaced and i think originally nine of the players had said i'm not i'm not doing that i'm not wearing it um, I was like, but and then cited religion. Bear in mind, Manly, they out their stadium is sponsored by uh, I think Bookies, like a gambling thing, and they have a uh, alcohol sponsor on their shirt. Um, they've all got tattoos because uh, you know a lot of them are like Polynesian heritage. So they, so there's lots of hypocrisy there. And that that's what I I really pisses me off when people cite religion is that you're you're picking and cho- you're choosing religion to shield your homophobia because there was there's a guy called Sonny Bill, Bill Williams who's a Muslim and to be fair to him not that I agree with it but I, I applaud his is the fact that he had principles in his conviction was that he, whenever he signed for the club, he said, I will not wear a shirt that has a sponsor that promotes gambling or alcohol or whatever because of my religion. And he said that. And every club that he, you know, Sydney Roosters got around it that people paid so they could sponsor his, his specific shirt. So if he'd have come out, I mean, he doesn't play anymore, but he, if he'd have come out and said, I'm not wearing that, I would have said, do you know what? I don't agree with it, but at least the man has got, principles and and his you know with his religion that it extends to all aspects of it not just bits that he's picking and choosing where that wasn't the way with these guys um mm. I, I, and it's the same in football as well i mean you've got the senegalese players who all refuse to sort of partake in the rainbow laces thing yeah um uh, there was a few of them and again they cited religion whilst all wearing bet logos on their yeah. t-shirts and it's and it is 
as as um as a gay guy it, there's nothing more frustrating than a queer podcast yeah. and, and it just as i was saying on, on an earlier podcast it just boils down to what they're least comfortable with yeah and i think the idea of homosexuality is so uncomfortable in 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 their brains that it's the one that they rally against least the most i think and i think there's loads of reasons why that might exist it might be down to sort of a toxic masculinity element to it mm. um where they just cannot accept that it exists there's so many different things and i think toxic masculinity as a phrase gets banded around far too much and i think there should be uh, it, it, not everything masculine is toxic uh, that's that's that, it, masculinity can be a thing that's so like as you said that brotherhood vibe that got your back thing it's born out of this idea of strength in numbers but it's the, the output of that is very positive. Yeah. And, and the, that this, could be seen as something. Again, I was talking about this earlier. Like social media is an amazing tool. It connects people, it educates people, it gives people things that they might not have had a community. But what it has done, it has got rid of nuance. There's mm-hmm. black and white, it's yes or no, it's you're right, you're wrong. And if you can't say it in 160 characters, then you know it's not worth talking about. Masculinity in and of itself. Of course, you can have toxic masculinity. You can have toxic anything. Uh, you know, the difference between a poison and a cure is the dosage. I I know what I look like. I know what I sound like. That's one of the reasons why I struggled so much with coming to terms that I was gay because I thought I'm not a little, you know, a camp effeminate uh, dancer. Like, I, 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 as much as I would actually like to be that, I am not <laughs> that. No one can tell me that I am n- not masculine i know i am but i also can high kick and wear glitter and put on some spangly hot pants and you know dance around to do i do a great rendition of mine hair from cabaret and be as as camp as a row of tents as gay as a waitrose goose and be you can do that and be masculine you like there's it, one doesn't have to come at the expense of the other and and this thing of you know, all masculinity is toxic. Is, is it's like when everybody bandies around the phrase "someone's a narcissist" because they have, you know, they they've got an ego. Like the world is not full of narcissists and psychopaths and sociopaths. They're really rare, and so is toxic masculinity. But you know, there sometimes there is a concentration of it, and you can have too much stuff. And but just slapping labels on things. Um, just to make your life easier and take all the nuance out of things like life the world is not twitter and it it, it really fucks me up but thank god the world's not twitter otherwise <laughs> otherwise only two people would ever like anything i've ever done <laughs> uh, <laughs> going back to sort of younger kagan is there anything you would say to him or are you quite... Because that's a tricky question, I think, actually. Lots of people go, what would you say to your younger self? And essentially, I'm saying that because um, I'm great at interviewing. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think that's quite a hard question. Would you? Actually, I'm going to flip that. Would you go back and say anything if you had the opportunity to? Or would you just allow yourself to make your sort of own decisions? Um, I think I think I would. I think I would say it's... It's, ne- it's never as bad as, as you think it, it is at the time because, uh, you know, it's well documented and, and I'm, I'm going to skirt over this and I'm not doing it flippantly, but, you know, a couple of times in my life I thought about suicide because I felt so trapped. But I, di- I didn't need, I didn't, not that I didn't need to, but, well, I didn't need to, but I thought that I did. I thought that was the only way out. And I think, 
given everything that goes on in the world and the stats for suicide and you know I was very close to being a statistic um and for for for, for what like because I want to kiss blokes like it's it's there, there are worse things going on in the world and I think that's probably what I'd say to a younger younger young me is just just don't waste a big part of your life pretending to be somebody else because life is literally too short um yeah so god i'd love to sweep into the suicidal me part of my life and just go come on mate yeah correct because it's it's so hard during the time because we not to trivialize anything like that obviously it's 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 very common within lgbtq people to have suicidal thoughts at some stage but when you sort of go through becoming who you become and you realize how actually little it factors yeah. in you being happy uh it's, it's who you sleep with it's, yeah, um it's, it's it's just it's all this thing that society growing up within a straight society it's just unlearning all of that yeah and that's the bit that coming out starts is that process of unlearning and you just forget thinking now you just forget how much pressure yeah. You put on yourself it, it, as a as a closeted person. Yeah, you think like you just said. They're growing up in a straight world. You think that being gay is such a huge part of of your life, but mm. and 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 I suppose it is in the sense of it affects decisions that I make, who I choose to spend my time with, my life with, you know, shared interests and things like that. But I think that the way I've always tried to describe it is I am I am me and gay. Gay is just like it's like a flavoring. It's just like a bit of spice. Just what flavor? Perry salt. It's just like a little bit. (laughs) It's it's just like a bit bit of bit salty with a bit of fire. Yeah, really. Just you got a bit of sass of you. Just it up a little bit. But yeah, I think that was kind of how I explained it when I came out. Like I've not changed. I'm still. If anything, I'm more me. Than I than I ever was before I came out. I, th- I think that's a really nice way to think about. It. That's probably something I'd say to to twelve year old me is if you want to actually be you, be you. You know, because you're not you're not you until you're you're not you when you're younger. You're not you until you come out. Uh, Don't do that. They're they're not going to help. <laughs> they're not going to help with a fucking sponsorship of this thing. <laughs> Don't sponsor things that won't give me money, Jake. <laughs> um. <laughs> There's one more thing that I want to end this on, and this is the final thing I'm going to say. There's, we've got something in common, oh. you and I, Keegan, uh, apart from obviously general physique. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, that's so not true, um, listeners. If you've, I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've not got the physique of Keegan yet, but I'm working on it. Keegan, the thing we have in common is that we were both on first dates. Slightly different version, because <laughs> uh, my comedy career hadn't taken off by that point. Still, I'm going to be honest. Still in takeoff mode. Uh, it's, it's not that it's not, it hasn't taken off, but it's you know, uh, it's, it's taking its time. Is this, but I went the on the original first is Still on. And yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. Fuck me, they are. God, I think they're jammed. Um, but, but you were also on celebrity first dates. I, I feel like I read that somewhere. Have I made that up? No, that, that, that was that was true. Yeah, because you're a celebrity, Keeks. Oh God, I don't think so. Uh, How was that? How was your? I like to sw- switch notes whilst we're doing this. Um, the meal was good. The f- yeah, the food was nice. Um, my my date was. A fucking nose. 
Um, What's a nose? This is a nose. It's like it's a northern, just like a, it's a bit of a dick, you know, bit of, a bit of a, I, bit of a dick. Okay. Um, in fact, really irritating. Um, everything was a sexual innuendo. Like, and even though and this was quite early on, so I've not been on many dates, gay dates. Um, I was very skeptical going in as well. I didn't have any TV experience, so I, I didn't know what I was walking into. So for people who don't know, when you go on uh, first dates, they put you in, a, you end up in a room, don't you? Before and they're like, we're going to random hotel yeah, somewhere random nearby, place. like a go, weird right, now you go in, So you don't know if you're going in first. You don't know if you're going in last. I bet, like Joe's saying, I went on celebrity. But I was obviously I'm not I'm not very well known because when I went in and uh, the guy who works behind the bar was like, "Can I get you a drink?" And then he was like, "Are you looking to meet? Uh, what kind of lady are you looking to meet tonight?" And I was like, "I'm not. I'm looking to meet." Oh, I bet that made the edit. They fucking love that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I was just like, from the off, I was like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" Then he came in and he obviously knew I was, and he was a bit like, <laughs> and then everything was just talking about sex he, he told me that he tweeted while he was having sex he told me that he um he kept trying to force me to eat pineapple and then he was like you know what pineapple does don't you and i was like i think you're insinuating about it changing the flavor of my semen yes but uh, i was like fuck off just fuck off don't be begging um and then oh wow and then at the end they said would you call another day no uh, really, I, 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 I couldn't imagine you skirting around an issue. I feel like you're quite a, a, a straight talker anyway. Yeah, uh, you'll pardon the pun. And when, uh, well, um, and when I said no, he actually went and was genuinely shocked. And I was like, "Have you not been in the room?" I actually, I had a sort of fake. Well, not fake. It was a good day. It was a genuinely good date. We actually got on really well. It was essentially the storyline was two gays who like football meet. Okay. Uh, that was very much how it sort of was edited it was like this guy loves football and then I wander in and they film me walking outside I look like I'd never walked before because I gave <laughs> you like six instructions like go left but don't go left and then go right and then open the door but don't push it but actually pull it but push the door okay so I had all of that going around in my head walking like I've never walked before on my tiptoes wandered in saw um Fred and he was like oh your date's already arrived I was annoyed because I'm always first because I'm a very very punctual guy yeah. uh, so I went to him fair play absolute immense looking guy and we got on like a house on fire we had a date afterwards um, as well and it was all painted quite nicely but I used the term straight acting on television and can I just say uh, the feedback was not positive Ooh. rightly so I, I, yeah, I understand yeah, yeah, yeah. the reductive nature of that term now um, but I'd only been out for a couple of years and I was still learning the parlance um, and to be honest I said that as part of a broader point about how I'm looking for someone who is straight acting by which I mean they're not acting that they're straight they just don't give a shit about their sexuality yeah like yeah. straight people because straight people don't give a shit about their sexuality because yeah, yeah, they don't yeah, have yeah, to yeah. and i always got to that point where i'd been thinking about it so much that i was like i don't want to care about my personality um but i said that and they edited it just like i'm looking for someone straight acting oh. and it just cut there and it, I was, as soon as that happened in the room i had some mates i was like that's not going to go down well i mean i did talk about suicidal thoughts and depression at, at some length on that show which was shown and aired the newspapers ran with some more like 
reductive language in the gay community. Guy says straight acting. And I was just like, in his fucking news reports, friends just going, have you seen you're in the news again? I was like, yeah, I fucking seen it. Quash it, burn it. I was like, yeah, it's amazing what people latch on to is not um, gay guy who doesn't quite know the right terminology yet gets it slightly wrong, but talks about mental health in quite a poignant and honest way. Yeah. That's the headline that would have probably been more factual. That, that's not what you took. That's we're not told that are you when you come out. You don't know there's a load of rigmarole that you've got to um you got you need to know what grind the tribe you are. You need to know what kind of gays are you gonna hang around with. What why isn't there a crash course? A gay crash course. I, like come on mate. Like obviously I'd be a uh, classic stud jock. Uh, you know, it's one of those circuit, uh, circuit stone, you know, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Uh, just one of those, um, hammers. Uh, I don't know the terms. Um, I mean, Grinder tells me them. There's a new one every time. There's a side, you know, side is a new thing now. Side, so you get top, bottom, versatile. There's a side, yeah. Uh, that's just, I think that just means you like oral. Sorry, now I'm talking about sex. This is like your terrible grinder day all over just, again, just, or whatever just it was. Each other off. Yeah, but the thing is, as well, now I think, yeah, I think probably at the time I felt, un- I actually felt uncomfortable talking about gay sex because, you know, just because you come out doesn't mean you're fully comfortable in your own sexuality, does it? it just means God no, Jesus, people- it takes about five years. Yeah, exactly. So now I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know what, wanking people off, whatever, whatever tickles you pick up. Whereas then I, I felt like every time someone talked about sex, it was, oh, shit, I'm supposed to know everything and I don't know anything, so, so stop talking about it. Because uh, mm. I remember, you know, I, I, in the changing room, when one of the lads was like, so do you go on dates then? I was like, yeah, it's like, what, what do you think happens? And, and But then it got into the, how does it work? What's the logistics of the... And then I was like, I remember thinking, I've got, I've got to answer this. Because if I don't answer it, I look like I'm ashamed of gay sex by, you know, and if you add it all up, then I'm ashamed of being gay and I'm not. I'm just uncomfortable because I don't really know. So I remember explicitly talking about bumming um, in the changing room (laughs) and like just on the inside dying but on the outside being like yeah and it's bravado 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 and we we just dead love it and it's you know it's it's so easy do you want to try um you just have to own it though i've always found that like i found the i always found the conversations around straight sex really awkward because i wouldn't really know what i was talking about i'd be making i'd be riffing on the hoof i'd be like yeah you know the kind of that reset button that you have to hit uh around the back of a lady uh when you finish like I, that's the level i was at like it was a tamagotchi or something um so like for me I, I found like it very stressful talking about straight sex so as soon as i got to talk about gay sex i was like oh i know i know the answers i've revised for this for years in secret online <laughs> So as soon as people started asking questions, I was like, no, please ask questions so that I can tell you so it's not in your head and you're not just thinking it and not worried to say. I'd rather you say it to me and we can talk about how gay sex works. When a daddy and a twink love (laughs) each other very much. (laughs) That's just a sentence. Um, This has been a real joy. Thank you so much, Keegan, for for spending an hour of your time with me just um, waffling on about sport and gay stuff. Um, I really wish you all the best at the start of the season. I know it's, you're going to smash it, hit the ground running. Um, and you'll, we'll have to have you on again when the season started, if that's cool, just to have a little catch up. Yeah, definitely, mate. No, I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for, for having me on. 
Cheers, mate. Thank you to Keegan Hurst. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider donating a bit of change on the Ko-fi link in the bio. But until next time, thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.